and wisdom in action. So for those of you who are new, hopefully that'll make some sense to you. Uh, and for those of you who have been around a while, it already might be of interest to you because at the core of it is a passion for exploring in a way the mysterious but powerful quality of silence in the mind and the heart that sees and that acts. And why did I, how did I get this image I'm going to work off of this evening? Well, uh, each year I go on, I like to go on one or two uh, self-retreats. And so I was up doing a self-retreat over, so I teach mostly at the Insight Meditation Center in Newburyport. And it's closed, it's, uh, Larry, Larry is one of the, Larry Rosenberg is one of the founders as well as myself and, uh, and, a, and a woman, Jacqueline Bennett. And um, we ha have the same sort of rhythm where we close down for a couple of, uh, of formal classes for a couple of months a year, and I like to go on self-retreat. So this winter, I was, uh, I was off in Vermont, and my girlfriend, uh, my partner's uh, parents have a little A-frame house, and I went up there at the uh, foot of Mount Snow, and I brought a few little things with me to keep little symbols to remind me of my practice, and one of them was a, 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 a tanka that Larry had given me. Just he's given me a few things over the years. And it was a scroll uh, that had a picture of, of this bodhisattva on it. Uh, it's Avalokiteshvara. And on this, uh, and here's, you see the, uh, this up here, the stage? These are from the, these are a couple of uh, bodhisattvas, I guess, too. This one, see the one with the sword? This is Manjushri. It's the, it's the uh, image of the, this cutting delusion. So this one is of compassion. And there's a standing... Uh, image and it has a thousand arms, and in each arm is is uh, and hands, and in each one is an eye. So the seeing, seeing is an organ of the mind, right? Which sees clearly. It's not an organ of action in the way that a hand is. And uh, and, and a hand stands for action in the world. It stands for movement. It stands for responsiveness. So the hand that that sees, hmm. Well, just as a basic frame, so we're going to work kind of progressively to get to the point, or perhaps that's a possibility. What? Sure. Okay, sure. So the basic theme of meditation practice in the Buddhist tradition, Buddha Dharma, is that we are sort of we are born into a condition where uh, we have we suffer, we have joy. We have inner response in relation to the things that happen to us in life. And that there's an element of our suffering that seems to be related to our inner reactivity. It's very simple. <laughs> so uh, it's like there's a classical analogy given of, a, of being uh, two arrows. That something happens, like we stub our toe or something or something emotional happens where we get hurt. Uh, and that's, but the actual imprint of that would have its own life, and then it would change, it would go away. But we actually don't leave it alone internally. We react, we, it's that we shoot ourselves with a second arrow often. And actually in the analogy, uh, the, the Buddha said that if you get shot with one arrow, you should pull it out, but you, people don't often, they, 
they, uh, they start blaming where they come from. Who shot me? Oh, no, I'm no good. I wasn't fast enough to get out of the way of the arrow. And it's as if they're shooting themselves with a second arrow. They might bleed to death, or at least they'll suffer a lot more than they need to, when really, oh, there's an arrow here, there's pain. Okay, let's do what we can to remove it. So somehow we're burdened by the conditioning, by our habit patterns of all of our, our wounds from the past and our expectations laid on the future, the conditionings we pick up from our culture, from our parents, um, all the comparative images we have that we carry around that don't allow us to have a fresh, clean relationship from the inside as we're living our lives. So that there's, it, there's a quality of suffering which is considered unnecessary. And the other side of that is that, so that's from one angle. The other angle is that there's amazing untold potential in the mind and the heart that because of these veils, these obscurations, these conditionings which impose themselves day in and day out, it seems like they go 24-7 a lot of the time, <laughs> on how they're like a veil between us and our life. And that this isn't just suffering, but actually there's a, an amazing potential that we have inside our hearts and minds. If we can start to tap, and this is what the Buddha talked about. He didn't just talk about suffering, but the end of suffering, he called the highest happiness. Now, it's a metaphor for a quality, an intrinsic quality of peace and ease and actually responsiveness that is not based on normal ways of protecting and striking out. That this is obscured as well. It's great silence and seeing go together in that place. So the path is to move from a place not of just what we normally think of just the normal pain in life, it's to move from the place of unnecessary suffering. Sorry, anybody comes here and thinks it's just a bliss path where if we meditate, it's going to be pleasure 24-7 all the time. We'll never have, to, never have to suffer. No. It's just saying that there's a whole layer that we impose and there's a whole level of undiscovered potentiality that we don't touch often. And that's what we can work with. So it's a path of wisdom. It's learning to create the conditions where we can see into these veils as we're living. This is very practical, when our, when our buttons are pushed, rather than unconsciously striking out. We can actually ha learn to hold a space where the mind is steadier, where the mind actually has a new resource, so that we don't get so pushed around, nor do we have to deny different energies that it get evoked so that we start to move from a place of reactivity to a kind of authentic uh, responsiveness. Bernard Shaw said that the possibilities are numberless once we decide to act and not react. Now, I don't know how much meditation practice he did, but what I would, I would just add one little caveat the possibilities are numberless, not once we decide to act and not react, but once we have the possibility and the skill. Because we can decide this is the problem. This is what fuels this whole reactive cycles, reactivity, is that we may have very good intentions, but uh, we might have make of a decision to stop a habit pattern that we have in relation to ourselves or others that we know is causing suffering. 
we may really make a decision to explore something which has much more potential. But that decision only has so much weight. So this is about intention, but it's about skill. So how do we, how do we learn to cultivate a place where our mind is not pushed around, where it can settle, where it can actually touch a sustaining, a renewing energy inside our own hearts and minds, which isn't based on the outside world. Well, those of us who have meditated, have practiced, we have some experience in touching this, or we probably wouldn't be coming back. So the first part of the path really is learning to touch states and sustain them where we're concentrated, where the mind settles in a way that's not dependent on the vicissitudes of life, of objects. Of, right? we, we often go outside for those things, or we go to drink or drug or TV or friends or sex. Or, and all those are actually can be wonderful parts of life <laughs> if, if, in, in, in the right place. But we often go there not knowing that we have a resource to actually touch stability and a quality of strength inside. So the first part of practice is learning to touch this, that we do have strength by doing what? By simply learning to pay attention and sustain attention in the present moment. It's the most simple thing in the world. What's actually very beautiful about it is that it's a natural function that's happening all the time. So right now, your capacity to hear me separate from the capacity to judge and to right, figure it out and to have meaning or not meaning, just hearing, just seeing, just this clear perception, that is the mind that is dropping into being present. So the first part, classically in practice, is that we choose very simple things and we, just, we come back to them again and again and again and get our mind, when we see our mind getting caught up, spinning out, we just notice that and we come back. So we can use breath, how many folks in here who meditate use the breath as a, as a sort of primary anchor? Not bad, right? You can feel a few breaths in a row. You can calm us down. How many people have done retreats? Okay, and have you, gotten some, have you gotten some stability where the mind starts to settle? Where rather than just catching half a breath, you might catch two or three? Or in walking, you feel a few footsteps, or you really taste your food and you start to actually, the mind starts to settle. It starts to get renewed by the power of just being present and taking away all the things which lead us away from being present and focusing again and again. So that's concentration. And it's uh, a wonderful tool to have. And if you look from going on the re- finishing with sort of the retreat model, it's not, it's not finished, it's just life, just another form of life. That, that provides the potential when the mind gets settled to start to see into all of our life in a way where we have a different relationship to it. So where we, and that's what insight, insight is actually, it's, uh, the word is vipassana, which means special seeing. You see into things in a way where we're not pushed around by them. Where we actually can start to see into their nature which is of change, whether we like it or not. (laughs) 
And the ability for the mind to stay steady gives us the capacity to, if we use that state of mind, to, if we stay with something, see something, we start to see its nature, and we can first, we can a little bit more and more learn to let things be, and then we learn to let things go. But letting go is not often, we say, oh, I just let it go, right? <laughs> you hear that phrase? Oh, I just let it go. But is that true, or is there a little bit of uh, aversion along with it often? I let it go. Yeah, I let him go. I let her go, right? <laughs> so that's not allowing. So wisdom is allowing the nature of experience to actually unfold on its own and to hold it, to have a, a state of mind and heart that is clear and steady that actually is grounded in the present moment and can see. Because things change and they get hotter or they get colder. They they they. they, they slowly the pain of certain things goes away naturally. Or, so that, that happens, or it can be done with, as a wisdom path. All of our life can be taken as a wisdom path if we actually take interest in the changing nature of something that might be pleasant or unpleasant. Rather than, and what keeps us bound up in living through these filters is it's the quality of the mind which doesn't know how to leave things alone and be intimate with them at the same time. It's a very interesting quality <laughs> to be sensitive, fully sensitive, but not to manipulate and to trust that seeing energy. So we'll talk about daily life. This is the, and how that, how that comes into action as we move forward. But that is absolutely vital, that skill of staying, but not being pushed around because what do we do with experience that we like? We go after it. And when we don't like it, we push it away. And often we're just caught in cycles of ignorance where we just make the same mistake again and again and again because we don't see. The mind's not steady enough to see how a pattern is evolving and it just keeps going on. We can be really dumb. Right, you want to hear a story how dumb I was today? Okay. So uh, today, you know, today was my day. When I give a talk, I like to have the afternoon and just take time to form some ideas and sit and this and that. And uh, I was a little behind schedule. <laughs> and I had to have a meal, so I cooked up my nice, sorry, I'm not a vegetarian, uh, cooked up a nice piece of fish, just organic vegetables, organic rice. Uh, but one of the, and I didn't have that much, there wasn't that much, many greens, and one of the greens slipped out of the pan. And so I went over to, it was it turned off, it was still hot, hot. And I wanted that green. So with one hand, I got the little spatula on the backside. And I tried to go in there with my finger and get it. And I hit the pan. And I burned my finger. Simple enough. I just didn't see clearly, right? Did it stop there? No. <laughs> I reloaded. I hung out. And I looked. And I saw that green. And I wanted it. <laughs> and I... There was no clear sink. I didn't see the space. Okay, then remove the pan and try something different because you just burned yourself. I did the exact same thing. Exact. It was the same motion. I was watching myself do it. I was... And I had to get this big hunk of aloe and I was rubbing it all the time driving in. And I was, I was, I was amazing. And I, actually, I was very surprised that I hit the pan. Even though I did the same movement, I was very surprised I hit the pan and it burned it again. I was very surprised. It's like, why'd that happen to me again? 
So this is called delusion. <laughs> right? Actually, it's a mixture. I wanted, I, I guess there wasn't so much aversion. I was like, I'm just, but I wanted that green. But it's still, it's holding in my mind like that was the sacred green. That was going to make me very happy. I wanted the green, and I didn't see the conditions clearly. And I went for it. And I was so bent on having it and so deluded that I burned myself twice. Okay? So we do this over and over and over again. Now, I don't know what I'm doing up here, sitting up here, talking about clear mind and being responsive instead of reactive, because that was probably stupider than what any of you did today, right? At least cooking a meal. I don't know about other things. So so that's that's what we do. And we're caught. We're caught in cycles of pushing and pulling and not seeing clearly and acting in all kinds of configurations, just like I just gave you an example of one. When our mind is concentrated, it can function two ways. One, we can just cut out, we can step away from experience. So we can watch the breath exclusively. But then once the mind gets stable, then we can actually take the stability of mind as what we learn to rely on more and more. We learn to rest in it. So there's a continuity of attention. So on retreat, there's a continuity between forms. And then when we do that and it's stabilized, then we start to see the changing nature of things because we're located in a place where we can watch how our habit patterns are moving, but we're not following them. We're actually not buying into them. And so it said that insight starts to see into the nature of these things. And then when you stay with something and you stay with, there's actually a joy in seeing it go all the way through. Like if you hear just a sound, like you hear the sound of the bell, don't don't people love hearing the sound of the bell? Do you ever take that and listen to it all the way to the end? When you do sometimes, what's the quality of mind when it ends? As soon as there's some real clarity, and actually that's a little bit of wisdom. We're staying with fully through, and then the mind opens, the heart opens, and it rests in that place. So we get little hits of this. They happen naturally, and when the mind is steady, then they can happen more. So they both, we can let things go, and we can take interest. And this is, when, when wisdom is really cooking, we actually take interest in the things that are discomfort, that have discomfort as well as comfort. Then we're not just letting go in lip service, or the word acceptance isn't just a coping strategy. It's the quality of mind that stays with. So I have a, and, and we have to, but we have to work with our suffering to do it. So I don't, know, I don't know if I should bring this up, but I want to because uh, it's hot for a lot of people right now. There's a lot of cultural suffering going on in this town, isn't there? <laughs> it, got, it, got, it got softened a little, if you're a sports fan, by Paul Pierce last night, sort of. It's a tiny bit. There's a lot of suffering going on, right? A lot. How am I, oh, I'll tell you. I mean, it's so funny. I, was at the, I go work out at this gym, and they've got ESPN on everywhere. And, and I went in there yesterday, and all the TVs are on soap operas. Or they're off. <laughs> I'm like, that's one way to deal with things. <laughs> I go back and forth. I'm going to be a good warrior. I'm going to be a... No, no, then oh, I can't stand it. <laughs> so, but if you watch that energy, because as time goes by, if we stay with that, and if we've invested a lot in it, if we're fans, we have, then if we watch that energy, then it, it will change. The qualities do change. They do. 
No. <laughs> Unless what? Unless we feed them. And I, I mean, I've spent a lot of, I've spent a fair amount of time, this shouldn't be recorded, you know, fantasizing about like just one different play or something over and over again. And that's habit energy. And it's, un, it's amazing. It's as bad as the stove. I convinced myself today that Gronkowski had caught the tip ball and they won the game. I was happy for like a minute. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so it's popping our bubbles in a way. It's choosing. And that's why the, it, we, if we choose not to react, because that's a reaction. It's creating pleasure when the reality is, is that something has changed, it didn't go our way, and it's changed, and we have to deal with loss. It's a loss, right? So we can be playful, and we can see how our minds work. And that's good. I think that's, it's really healthy to actually be playful with it. And at the same time, a co- commitment to staying with the process so we actually learn from it, so it becomes a Dharma teacher. As things, on the other side, when things go really well, that they're a teacher too. And that we watch the mind that feels like it's elevated and all our energy's up, and I'm better. All, the, all what the mind does with that, too. So the key to all of this is that we learn to stabilize attention in the present, and then we take interest in our life. We take interest in what's coming from the inside. So on retreat, it can be very refined where you actually see change again and again, or you see a loss, and you see it through to the end, and it's not there, and then we appreciate what's left. Because we're still here. We notice we're still here. Every morning we wake up and we're here. It's kind of a miracle. And our lives are still functioning and stuff is still going on. So that choice to be present, that gives us the power when, when, when Bernard Shaw was saying we decide to act and not react, that we're making the choice to be present and that that presence is giving us and that clarity is giving us the space to make a choice. So bring this into daily life. So there's concentration and there's wisdom and they can go back and forth. So concentration can be kind of fixed and then it can be more open and steady, changing field of objects. Wisdom can be the sense of of seeing things through and actually seeing a process all the way through and a quality of letting go that naturally happens or an interest. And it can also be the fact that we start to touch an inner strength and buoyancy in the face of even difficult situations because There's some buoyancy that comes when we're really interested in being with our lives as they are. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's uncovering this, and that's this deep potential for freedom in the face of our lives as we're living in them that that these wisdom traditions talk about. And the key is to actually, in our lives, to see how how we're pushed around by wanting, not wanting, and then delusion. It can be the stove or it can be creating false realities and imposing them on things. (laughs) And they're just energies. That's what's great. They're actually just natural energies that are functioning. Is is anybody in this room not, like when I've given this scenario, is this not part of your mind? Does your mind not just naturally function this way? This is the nature of the conditioned mind. It's just the nature of it. Okay. Um... So in daily life, to use practical techniques to help us to come out from underneath this reactivity based on these energies without seeing, without having a place to rest. You know, when you were a kid, there was a, uh, your parents might have told you before you cross the street to stop. 
to look and to listen? Well, you're all here, so you probably did it. (laughs) So that exact same principle applies to our inner life, applies to our relationship life, applies to the places where we keep going back for more (laughs) reactivity. We learn to stop, right? There's a power, a simple power in stopping. We look, we see, and okay, listening, is, it's a metaphor for being sensitive to the situation, or it's listening. And this, even if we do this in little ways, so for daily practice, if we have a daily practice where we sit, and how many people do? Do, do many people have a daily practice? So it's probably quite helpful in terms of both giving us like a mindfulness pause, giving us a break, the renewal that comes from just settling. And there's been plenty of scientific studies done on how it works, the mind-body connection now. But also that it gives us a place when we move into daily life where we have more of a capacity to tap some of these skills that we've cultivated on a cushion or chair, whatever, by watching our breath or doing metta, whatever our practice is, in our daily lives to actually using them, using them creatively. People that have a daily practice, do you feel like you bring it into your daily life, most people? A little bit? Okay, there's a couple ways to do that. Um, and one is just to, to consciously make breaks to renew that strength, that clarity. To, like, if you have an office time, spend some time sitting and breathing. Uh, you can work with the natural rhythms of your day in a way that complements formal practice. And for some people, they don't actually have time for formal practice. So they just take, when there's a natural lull in the cycle of activity, they'll orient themselves to really paying attention, to really bring these stopping, looking, listening, moving mindfully in periods when, our, when we can afford it in the day. People do it like in the office. They just like, they walk down the hall every time and they just pay attention to their feet. No one knows what's going on unless they do slow walking meditation, <laughs> right? And there was one, uh, so I teach beginners classes up in, um, up in Newburyport, and one beginner reported, he'd only done three, three classes, it was the third session, and I'd given them an exercise to tune into their natural rhythms and to, take, to utilize them and to try to like, bring presence to their feet if they're, in a, if they're talking to somebody or their breath. And they had, he had started bringing these things in, and he said, I said, how's it going? Just to the group, and he said, well, my whole work life has changed. And it's a good story, simple. I said, why? He said, well, I'm not rushing to get my agenda out (laughs) all the time when I'm with people now. He said, I have my agenda, but it's there, and I've actually learned to stop, to ground myself, and to listen to the other person. And he said, what's happening is that people are listening to me now. I'm doing that to them because we're, we're connected in a way. He's creating a space, and then people are actually asking him more what he thinks. And the quality of his life in, in his work, now it was only three weeks, but uh, it actually had improved significantly, and he was extremely happy. He said, because, just because he was taking the time to use this natural skill to be present, to take pauses, and then it's stopping, it's seeing, and then it's moving from what you see. So now we're moving from this concentration, which is separate, to daily life interface, where we 
our minds get quiet, but then we really are open, not only to what's happening in here. So now we're expanding this, right? We see our reactions, so we don't buy into them, and we take interest. But we're also, when that, that quality of attention becomes developed, we're actually also start to become very interested in what's happening here, on the outside. And we can get very concentrated there, too. We can learn to come out of our habit patterns. When we pay attention to the outer world as well as the inner world, then a couple things. We start to see that life is much more, well, people are more like we are than we thought we were just in our own little bubble. And that that interest shows us that certain qualities may be called for to come forth from us. So we start, we have to take care of ourselves, right? If we don't take care of here, and we just go out here, which many people that are caregivers or engaged in the world know, then we may have great intentions, but we get burned out. And we actually may not even be that skillful. If we've ever been in an enabling relationship, (laughs) we know that pattern. Or we may be doing it out here, but we're not actually paying attention to what's in here. So what's beautiful about these teachings is you start at home. And it comes back to the mind and the heart. But the mind and the heart is not just separate. It's also engaged. And when we start to pay attention to life on the outside, we realize a few things. We realize that, we're, that there's an interdependency and that often the happiness that we're searching for, because another way to put this whole path is that we're moving from, we talk about unnecessary suffering to getting rid of that, but it's actually moving towards greater connectedness when the veils aren't there and more freedom and more happiness in here, which is dependent on because we're humans, <laughs> And we live with others, and we work, and, we have to, and with these bodies we're carrying around all day long, that we actually start to be sensitive to the nature, the interdependent nature of our lives, inside and the outside. And that takes a leap. That actually is a movement. It takes a leap of uh, a change in attitude to do that. Now, we can do that if we want to get something for ourselves, right? We can pay attention to others. Ah, I see their facial gestures, so, okay, and they're on a business deal, so now I say, oh, okay, they're guilty, I'm going to take advantage of that, okay? We can use what we see on the outside, we can be sensitive for our own gain, as it were, buying in, or we can actually start to understand from a place of wisdom because we're studying how these forces work in our lives of desire and aversion and ignorance, and we see how they actually don't you have to study this and see if, see if it works, see if you see it, that actually if we hold on to these and buy into them, it actually doesn't create an, in, an inner enlightened culture, and it certainly doesn't create an outer one, does it? Or am I putting a delusion on the world that there's a lot of problems? <laughs> so it can be a very, it can be a powerful motivating force when we start to touch in to the fact that we're connected. So in our families, if we start to use our sensitivity to understand the suffering and the joy in all of us, or in our work, if we start to take hold a bigger picture, 
of the different systems that we live in, it can help to open our attention in a way that we get a natural kind of concentration and a natural interest, which is the key to insight. It's called, in some, some ways, it's called uh, compassion. It's hard, though, isn't it? So some people have natural compassion when, when it's called for in a, in, a, in a crisis, for example. So how many people here are good, are good in a crisis? They rise above themselves. <laughs> I actually did a, uh, one of the trainings I've done for insight meditation was a, uh, a training I did for uh, some years where I was, it was with uh, people in California, Jack Cornfield and others, and some back here on the East Coast. And we all had to give a little speech when we graduated. And I said, uh, I hope I can get out of my own way. And I didn't mean it like my low self-esteem or something. It was a respect for my own habit patterns. <laughs> it was a respect for saying, oh, this is how this mind is conditioned, this heart. This is what its tendencies are. So that it could enter into something that was bigger. So if you're good in a crisis, you know what it means to get out of your box, right? To get out of your habit energies that weigh us down and keep us small, and keep us in reactive patterns. But then what happens when the crisis ends, the situation ends? We go right back, don't we? Uh, maybe not. Maybe it lasts a while. <laughs> so there are ways to work, and what our practice is doing is we're working to, un to actually, we can do it uh, intentionally, and it can happen naturally, where we start to work to uproot, and this is where wisdom is, and also can be done intentionally, uproot these inner sort of, I like to use the word, I, I'm not, I didn't originate it, of default modes, <laughs> where the pushing and pulling mind, these habit patterns and ignorance, that that's what we fall back on naturally. So we can do this, can, we can condition ourselves to get out of this through practices of loving kindness, through practices of compassion, and it can, take, it can be very strong. So it can actually change our inner default, our inner natural responses to things to a certain extent. So the Dalai Lama is considered a classic example. Now, he may have a lot of wisdom going along with this as well, but that he's been asked many times, does he hate the Chinese? And he's, he's always said, no. I just feel compassion for them. I'm paraphrasing. I hope it's not. I hope it's accurate. But that's the gist of it. I feel compassion for them. Now, that's a heart and a mind that probably since the age of two has been cultivated intentionally towards holding a bigger field in its awareness and in its responsibility for, for letting, letting, letting our uh, awareness hold and take care of a bigger field. And so even if he can't do it physically, his heart does it. And that's where action comes from. Actions spring from what's in our hearts. So we can do, and some of you probably here do, loving kindness practice can be used as an antidote if you have a fair amount of aversion to things. But it could also just be a cultivation of a quality of brightening, of opening, that is more inclusive. And that's one way to work to get out of our box, to change our patterns. Now, the natural approach, which is complementary to this, is really investing in the present moment with our awareness. And that's concentration and wisdom together, where we really, really 
are committed to seeing the unfolding of awareness and that that itself, um, that becomes the place where we naturally have responsiveness. So if we're, if we're situated in it's actually kind of, it's kind of an evenness of prioritizing. We're so interested in and committed to being present, to, what, to attending to what actually is existing in this present moment, outside and inside, that we attend to it in a way that is clear and steady. And so that we can move from responsiveness from that place rather than reactivity. And it's inside and outside. The Buddha actually said in the, in the mindfulness teachings that you should contemplate, you should study, you should investigate with clear present moment awareness inside and outside. But we're so out there <laughs> that we have to get a base in here. But this is an attitudinal shift to actually say, hey, whatever makes up my life right now, I'm going to give it as much care and attention as I can. Now, uh, Krishnamurti, who is a great, just a wonderful Indian teacher, used to say that you give your body, your heart, and your mind to what you're attending to, to listening, to being with yourself, to being with others. That it's full. It's, it's everything you have. And he's very passionate about it. <laughs> give your heart, your mind, your body. Give everything just to purely being here, attending to what is. And that in the seeing of that, in the silence that comes from that seeing, response naturally arises. The great Zen teacher I, I studied for some years in Japan, I studied in the, in the Soto school, Dogen said, body, mind. Just, so it's not just here. So we're coming into a place where uh, our focus becomes more comprehensive, more inclusive. It's not, it's not concentrating on one thing and then investigating. It's that concentration becomes the whole starts to hold our life, our body, our mind, our heart, what makes up our life, outside and inside. So I think I have a couple, a nice poem that, uh, yeah. And uh, this is from a, 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 a Tibetan Lama, and he says, he shows how this works back and forth. He says, to be able to help others, to be responsive outside, you have to have free space inside. <laughs> One Zen teacher I worked with in Japan, he said, I was practicing, and he said, after like, I, wasn't, I was only in his monastery for six months or something, and I wanted to go and try some insight meditation practice, which I didn't know about too much at the time. And he said, you stay with me 20 years. He said, you've got to empty that heart, <laughs> that mind. You've got to create some space in there. <laughs> I thought I had already had all these great experiences. He just laughed. <laughs> then we can put something good in there. <laughs> so that it's, I don't know if he said we can put something good. Then, no, then he said, I think it'll be useful. <laughs> but you've got to, we have to let this process, we have to let there be space on the inside so that we can respond to the outside wisely. Okay. You see where this is going? You see how concentration and wisdom work together now a little more? You see how the hand can see? That's more like a Zen koan, which you can't figure out with your intellect. 
It's a quality of, of dropping in so fully into the present uh, that there's space and that what moves out of this space is wisdom. So Bhaiya, the, the, uh, in the sutta, it's a sutta from early uh, sutta of the Buddha, said, the Bhaiya said, in the seen, there will be only the seen. In the heard, only the heard. In the felt, only the felt. So when that happens, where are all of our inner reactive movements? They're not there. So that's the quality of care and attention that we bring. It's bring a unification of body and mind and heart together. And in that place, we're not trying to concentrate, and we're not trying to be wise. But we're here, and we're open. So let me do an exercise with you, okay? So this is for the people that have been around. <laughs> wow, that's why I asked in the beginning how many people have meditated. Because you may get intimations of this. Where, and actually, even if you haven't been, if you have natural concentrations in the world, it comes across as you're doing something and you're fully there, but you're still fully open. But the heart has to be clear too. And that's the, that's the thing here is we're attentive to our heart. It's not just we're attentive to a task. And we see the energies of that. And we choose that which actually serves what our commitment is, which is, well, we see. We see cause and effect, and we learn from that. We see what causes harm and what doesn't, supportive and, and what isn't. So I want to give you a little exercise. I want everybody, because if you say be fully with mind, body, and heart, does that make you tense? Okay, everybody try, just try to be mindful of your whole body right now. Just try to feel as much as you can in your whole body. Try. I'm giving it away. Good. Now drop that. Now, uh, just keep your eye, close your eyes for a bit and then feel your whole body. But also tune into sound and just feel the air, sound, and then just relax into your body in an open way. And now you can open your eyes. So in which of those did you feel more? Do you feel more in the second one? So that's where we go in practice. Did you taste, was there any, any little sense of stillness there? So that's what happens when we embrace a practice that doesn't split off and say, I have to get, I have to get super focused and then I'm going to see into this. We're learning to drop into the fullness of this moment as it is. And often we think that practice, when we drop in and there's silence there, that it's separate from our lives. But intrinsically, it's not. When we get still, when we drop in, when we really invest, it's when we learn to be really present, when we learn to see, action, when we're the eye of seeing, the stillness that comes with that, then there's action that flows naturally from that. I want to end with a few, uh, just a few quotes that I think get at that very beautifully. And one is from, um, this is from uh, uh, Vimla Thakkar, who's a, who's a uh, student of Krishnamurti's, a wonderful uh, woman teacher. She says, silence is the total human, 
excuse me, silence of the total human mind does not result in paralysis of action. So just think of a fullness in being present. Does not result in withdrawal from the active world. Does not result in benumbing any of your capacities. On the other hand, silence of the mind, the total mind, sharpens your whole being. Every pore of your being becomes active. So when we drop into the place of wisdom, there's tremendous in silence. There's tremendous, it's actually considered potentiality of action. There's tremendous aliveness, as she says, and this aliveness by its nature is responsive. And this is the mystery of it. A Tibetan master said, there is a, a compassion that, so it's akin to this silence, that this, he's, it's poetic, does not arise, does not cease, and is selfless. So it's not, I'm doing anything for you, <laughs> okay? It's that, it's that responsiveness, because compassion, the definition is, from the meditative, this meditative tradition, is it's a quivering of the heart, it's a responsiveness in the face of suffering. So it can be outside, it can be inside. It's a movement in response to what it sees. Being for others, and that includes ourselves, the others in ourselves, you know those? <laughs> is always available. It does not need to be brought about. And I want to wind down with this because to me it's one of the, it's touching into the deep, very, very deep mystery of this path is that these are qualities that are actually already here in our hearts and minds and that it's a matter of committing to work with our attention and our intention and make our life one where we can do our practices. And it's great to work with shamatha and shamatha vipassana means concentration and wisdom on retreats, right? Grounding, steadying, bringing that in, working so we get toll holds, moving from, you know, unconscious reactivity and the suffering that comes to responsiveness. But then letting that mature into a place where there's a fullness of being, of presence in our lives, of stillness, of seeing, where the hand and the eye, they're embedded, the, the eye is embedded in the action, the seeing and movement in life and response to life are actually of one fabric. So I wanna leave you with that possibility, uh, which just to be a little, realistic about it, uh, I, I just taste sometimes, <laughs> but I think it's wonderful that there's a mysterious quality in practice and that it's not separate from our lives. It's, it's in the moment, but it's not separate from what makes up our lives either. And so that's why it's shamatha vipassana 
in action in our lives. Because that's where we need it the most, don't we? Because <laughs> that's where we're living each moment. So last, uh, ending with the last image. So I gave you the image in the beginning of this bodhisattva, right? Like with all the, hand, the arms and the hands. Well, in the middle of the image, and believe me, I don't know much about art history and all this stuff. I just took this little tonic along with me and I was sitting one day and I looked at it and I said, my gosh, that's, that's about practice. <laughs> is that in the center of it, in the center of the image, is there's two hands. So all these hands out here. And then there's two hands and it's cupping a jewel, a radiant jewel at the heart. So let's sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.